Good morning, church family. I'm Margaret. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Today's reading is found in Romans 14, 1 through 9. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. All right. So, some of y'all now are convinced because the Bible said it, vegetarians do not have strong faith. Um, (laughs) If there's a vegetarian in here... I apologize. Y'all, this is so funny. We, I promise you, planned this message months before we planned the picnic. Um, That did not happen on purpose. And uh, we were, man, it just kind of came up like that. And God is funny. He has a great sense of humor. Um, And we're looking at Romans 14 today, and it's all about Paul just kind of lifting up some of the issues that are going on in the Roman church where some people are eating certain things and some people are not eating certain things. And they're kind of judging and kind of quarreling over those things, what you should or should not eat, uh, namely pork uh, for the Jewish people. And we got a lot of it out there today. So um, we also ordered chicken for the very, I promise you, like last night, I texted Andrea I was like, did we get any chicken for today? Because I can't preach this and then not let people who don't want pork not have pork. Um, And we do. We have chicken as well. So there's chicken, there's pork. We're all good. I think we're covering our bases. Um, (laughs) In this this chapter, I know it's sort of an interesting chapter of Romans. And like we've been saying the last few weeks, as Paul gets into sort of these latter uh, chapters of this letter, um, he's really kind of getting real practical. Okay, he's getting very practical with how people are living and what's going on in the Roman church. He's talked about a lot of theology up to this point um, in Romans 1 through 11. And then in chapter 12, he made that turn, right, to get to this shift of sort of like, what, how do I just daily live out the things that I now know and believe about Jesus? And he's going to get super practical here in this chapter and the next chapter, just about, man, the, the relationships that the church members in Rome had with one another and things that they were sort of struggling with and going through in particular. Now, In this chapter, I just want to make this clear before we jump into it. Paul is not talking about um, indisputable matters. He's not talking about really matters of doctrine and theology that we should all agree on as Christians, right? Um, He's not talking about the things that affect our salvation. Really, he's just talking about some of the disputable matters, some of the things that people may argue about or quarrel about, like where to sit in service, um, like things like that that maybe just from time to time, get on people's nerves about each other. And he's just writing this letter to the Roman church, just going, listen, um, there are things you're going to disagree about at times. That's okay. Um, Instead of kind of letting those things be the central matters of the church, why don't we call them what they are? 
They're disputable matters and they're secondary issues. And so what we should promote is love and peace and unity in the Holy Spirit always, right? That's the point of today. Now, if you don't hear anything else, you've gotten the point. That's what Paul is talking about here in these chapters. So he, he says this, Romans 14, uh, 1 through 3. He says, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Everybody, like, mark that or underline that if you got that in your Bible. Just disputable matters. That's the key idea here. This is all about disputable matters, things that based on opinion, things that maybe you think are good or you think are bad, and they maybe disagree with you on that, okay? Disputable matters. He says, in particular, here's the context for them. It's about what they were eating. Remember that the Roman church is made up of Jews and Gentiles, Okay, people who come from very different backgrounds, have very different perspectives on lots of different things, religion and dietary restrictions being some of those things. For the Jewish people, they have grown up never eating pork or certain unclean animals, right? And now, because of what Christ has done, and we know this from the book of Acts, the apostle Peter kind of makes this clear, and they kind of change some of the rules for the Jewish people, like you can really eat anything, right? That was the rules for the Jews now. They could eat anything because Christ has sort of fulfilled the law, the dietary restrictions, and all that as far as like external regulations for righteousness don't really matter. And he's just saying like, you, you can, and, but yet at the same time, there may be some among you who still struggle with that and aren't willing to kind of hurt their own conscience to eat some of these things. And then the Gentiles, thinking about the Gentiles, they too may, may struggle with some of the things that they are or are not eating just because they come from a very like polytheistic society and religion in the, the pagan Roman Empire where some of the foods that they would be eating or maybe buying at the market would, would have been sacrificed to idols. And so they would struggle with that. Like, should I eat that food if I know that when I buy it, it was already sacrificed to some deity that's not really a, a deity at all? Um, by the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is about this exact same thing. Um, so if you want to hear some different thoughts that Paul has on all these issues. So he, he's just kind of speaking into that context with the Roman church. Okay, so verse 2, he says, One man's faith allows him to meet everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Now, he's talking to weak and strong. He doesn't really say, by the way, who's the weak and who's the strong. You get that? Like, he's, he, he says weak and strong, and instantly when you hear weak and strong, if you're listening, if you're in the Roman church and you hear the reader um, of, of this letter when they're reading it going, okay, he's talking to some in here whose faith is weak and some in here whose faith is strong, you would probably think you yourself are which one? The strong, right? Like you're initially going, oh yeah, he's talking to me as the strong, and then there's other people whose faith are weak. And I think the reason Paul doesn't say really who he's talking to is just to simply say, this could be any of us at any time. That your faith may be weak, it may be strong. The point is not who's the weak, who's the strong. The point is, again, man, Paul's just speaking into love and unity amongst the church. And really that they wouldn't grade each other this way anyway. Right. Um, but I do think in the context of how Paul's speaking here, here's how we could sort of define weak and strong based on what he's talking about here. Those who are strong in their faith in this context, just just right here in Romans, those who are strong in their faith are the ones who has who have a good grasp, a good enough grasp on the gospel to understand that their righteousness is not based on external measurements. You get that their righteousness, their standing with God as saved or unsaved, as right with him or not right with him. They know because of what Paul has already laid out for us in Romans 1 through 8, that our justification, our righteousness is in Jesus and Jesus alone. He has died for our sins. He has risen from the dead. And so if I have faith in him, I am saved. I am justified. I am redeemed. I am forgiven of all sin. Regardless of the food that I eat, 
regardless of the background that I come from. He would, I think Paul would just simply say, that person's faith, in this sense, is strong because they understand that. The one whose faith is weak may be just somebody who, man, they've come to believe in Jesus and they've put their faith in him and trust in him, and yet they're still kind of just struggling with, well, you know, I feel like maybe some of these external things still have bearing and weight on my standing with God, okay? That, I think that's kind of all that he's saying here, to just go, okay, maybe there's, there's some who are just still kind of struggling with, with some of those things, and that's fine. Right, And so he's just kind of lifting this problem up and going, okay, now, we, we understand that both of those people exist in the church. We all have faith in Jesus, and yet there may be some who are still just really struggling with some of those external matters and what that means for them and how they're going to live. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that those who are strong in their faith in that sense may be tempted to become self-righteous and look down on those who are struggling with, with those issues. And the problem is also this. Those who are weaker in their faith in that sense, who are, who are still thinking maybe, maybe what I eat or what I wear or whatever, like all those external things, maybe that does like have, a, have a much bigger bearing on our, our standing with God and our relationship with him than other people think that it do. So those people who are eating those things, those people who are doing those things, I'm looking down on them. And so the, really the temptation would be whoever the weak and the strong are, they're both tempted to be self-righteous. You get the problem? You see the issue here? No matter who you are, where you are, what your standing is in the church, we all have this gear inside of ourselves where we want to kind of prop ourselves up and our opinions up about certain things and feel a little bit self-righteous at moments as we look at other people. Paul is talking to these Romans, trying to help them understand that as Christians, y'all, as Christians, we don't play the games that the world plays. We don't play that comparison game. You know the comparison game? You know the comparison game. Everybody knows the comparison game. You've played the comparison game. You play the comparison game all the time. In fact, before you were a Christian, if you are a Christian, before, man, this is how you lived your life. It's the comparison. It's, a, it's sort of a points system, right? You know the comparison game, how it goes, where you get points based on some arbitrary set of standards, that you place on yourself and everybody else. And by the way, that they're placing on themselves and you. It's, but they're all arbitrary, they're all subjective, but they're standards based on how nice you are or maybe how you dress or where you're from or what your family is like or what kind of habits you have or what mistakes you've made or what you eat or what you drink and how much of that thing you eat or you drink or your struggles or your medication. You ever judge somebody based on medication that they take? Or your education? Or your occupation? Or your relationship status? Or the health of your marriage? Or your parenting style? Not that any parents judge other parents. Or your political party? Or your stance on social issues? Or your spiritual maturity? And, and, and we all kind of look at these things in ourselves and in other people, and we play that game, the comparison game, right? And you know how the comparison game goes. Everybody's standards, here's the problem, are different, both in quality and in quantity. Like we decide, I decide for myself what my standards are and how well I stack up to those standards and how well you stack up to those standards, and you decide for yourself what your standards are and how you stack up to those standards and how I stack up to those standards, and everyone assigns different points for different things, by the way, and we emphasize our strengths and we minimize other people's strengths, and we minimize our weaknesses and we emphasize other people's weaknesses. That's what we do when we play the comparison game, and most of what we know about each other, about 
about other people isn't even based on actual experience because heaven forbid we would have a real relationship with anybody. Instead, it's just based on superficial interactions and social media posts. This is how we play the comparison game. And here's the problem. Here's the problem with the comparison game that nobody ever tells you. Nobody's ever won the comparison game. It can't be won. It's never been won. You know why it's never been won? Because all it really does is consume our minds and makes us fixate on the pros and cons of everybody else. It reduces family members and friends and neighbors into just a a series of tally marks, checks and X's. And it reduces us, me, who should be your friend, who should be your family, who should be your neighbor, who should be your brother. It reduces me to just merely being your judge. You know, we think that when we're judging other people, that that's a promotion. It's not. When you're judging somebody, y'all, that's a demotion. It puts you under them, makes you lower than them. And Paul is writing into a church who's just kind of had this struggle going on. And really, I think one of his main points with all of this, when he's talking about this stuff, is that you can be right and still be wrong. And nobody's ever won the comparison game, and that's why. Because you can win an argument. You could win a a theological technicality over a brother or a sister in a disagreement. But if you lose the brother or sister... And if you lose compassion and love and kindness, then you lose. And so do they. And no one ever wins the comparison game. Because you can be right and still be wrong. How? So let's look at verses 13 through 19. He says this. He says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind. I just make up your mind on these things. And he's just saying, man, to think about this. Be intentional about how you begin now to view other people, especially those right here, those who are of the family of faith, those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. I promise you, you do not agree with everybody in this room on everything. Promise you, you don't. But make up your mind that this is how you're going to be, right? He says, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in any brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in and of itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it's unclean. And if your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So again, all of this, be be reminded that none of this is in context of um, central core theological doctrines of Christianity, okay? That's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about whether or not we're justified by faith in Jesus. He's not talking about the sufficiency of Christ for our redemption. He's not talking about the necessity of the Holy Spirit living inside of us to, to lead us in our Christian walk. He's not talking about black and white issues of sin, 
He's not saying if somebody says lying is not a sin that you should just accept that. He's not talking about that stuff, right? He's just talking about disputable matters, secondary issues in the church that we may disagree on at times. Uh, for, for our context today, 21st century, maybe, maybe some of these things would be like what we eat or drink. Maybe, can a Christian drink, don't answer this out loud, can a Christian drink alcohol? Listen, that's debated by a lot of people. Right? And I'm not getting into that right now. We do uh, listen, go listen to the podcast. Go listen to the podcast. It's on there. Um, but listen, that's an issue, right? Like that's some things that people may, and I'm telling you, it's secondary. People even debate, can a Christian drink coffee in church? That's a real debate. Right? Some people get very frustrated about coffee being served in church. Some people do not like the fact that we got a cafe out there, right? I'm just saying, like these are things that we may debate. How do we dress in church? How do we dress? Oh, yeah. Some of y'all are squirming, getting uncomfortable. I'll make people stand up based on how you're dressed or whatever. No, listen. But this, these are things that we debate or just want to go more general like modesty. What is modesty? How do we dress modestly? I, I would say I think modesty is a great thing. However, it's a little subjective, isn't it? Like what it should look like or shouldn't look like or whatever. I think these are things that they're, they're just secondary issues that we can talk about and we should. But man, they, they don't necessarily make up the central core issues of who we are as Christians. What kind of worship music do you prefer? You ever walk out of church and like the whole, the whole experience that you had on a Sunday was based on what songs they played? You ever think like that? Or like, I, listen, I've seen the connect cards, y'all. I know how connect cards are. Sometimes connect cards are just a great opportunity to let us know what songs you want to sing in church. And that's okay. You can do that. You got a right to do that. That's fine. Um, but listen, uh, and this is, a good, this is a good example because some of you in here are like, man, we should really be singing hymns. We should only sing hymns. We should sing hymns a lot more. Um, I love hymns. Hymns are amazing. Do you know there are people who have PTSD because of hymns? Like you sing a hymn, I'm serious. Like you sing a hymn and they instantly go back to a church hurt that they had 30 years ago. And, and, and hymns just bring that up in their mind. I'm just saying, all, I, all I'm doing is just saying, there are things that we don't think about with each other, aren't there? That we don't even understand and we don't consider that maybe decisions are made or things are happening or people are wearing certain things or people are doing certain things and living a certain way based on the context of how they were raised and what happened in their lives for years and years and years. But all we see is what I want and what my opinion is on this matter. And Paul's just saying, look, guys, Christians, this is not how we live. That we, we consider each other. We consider that maybe, just maybe, we're, 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 we're all different. We all have different thoughts. We have different opinions. And maybe Jesus died for every one of us. Not maybe. Certainly. He did. And man, he said, didn't he? He said, do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Hey, so we had some uh, technical difficulties this week with our, our camera and things like that. So I'm, look, I'm just going to jump in right now um, where I left off in the message from Sunday. Um, so we're looking at Romans 14. Uh, we read verses 13 through 19. And, and here's, here's what I mean when I say 
We can be right and still be wrong uh, sometimes on these disputable matters. Again, the context here, just disputable matters that maybe we have opinions about um, and sometimes very strong opinions about, especially in the church and in Christianity and in kind of theology things or um, just things that maybe the way that we practice our faith in Christianity. Um, so here, here's some examples of that. Like a, a Christian can be technically right in saying um, that, you know, we can eat any food without fearing that it's unclean, right? The sort of, there, there are sort of Jewish ceremonial laws from the Old Testament that forbade them from eating certain foods, right? But in Christ, we know those laws have really kind of been done away with. We see that in the book of Acts. Um, and we see that in, in a lot of Paul's teaching right here in Romans. We see that um, he, he has shown us, God has shown us that food itself does not make us unclean. Jesus even said that. Like, you're not unclean by what goes in your body. And really, you're unclean by what comes out of you in the way that you act and the way that you treat people. Um, so yes, we can be technically right in saying, I can eat whatever I want without fearing being unclean. However, even if I was right about that, and I use that as ammunition against a brother or a sister who maybe is struggling with that thought or in their own conscience, they're still worried about whether or not they should eat certain things. You know, if you had a, a Jewish brother or sister who became a Christian, they still didn't want to eat pork, right? And you said to them, no, you're wrong. You, sh you, you should eat pork because your faith is weak because you're not eating pork. Um, to come at it with that heart, right? To come at it with that mindset, with that attitude, that would be wrong. So you can be, yeah, technically theologically right. And yet at the same time, you can still be wrong. Uh, there's there's all sorts of issues like this, right? Whether it comes to what we eat or drink or how we how we dress, I think we should all uh, we we could all agree that in Christ, um, it's good for us to think about like the things that we wear and probably should dress modestly as best as we can. However, that's a little bit cultural. It's a little bit subjective. What exactly does modesty mean, right? That, that can be sort of debated about. So I think we should at least just have grace with one another. Um, when it comes to maybe tattoos, right? That might be an issue you've struggled with of should Christians get tattoos? Should Christians not get tattoos? Or cussing or politics or entertainment or parenting styles, right? There's all sorts of things that we can kind of judge each other on based on how I do what I do and how you do what you do. And I guess the problem just comes in, y'all, when we begin to believe that some personal conviction that I have about an opinionated matter, um, when I put that on other people and I expect you to live the same way I'm living and doing the things the same way that I'm doing them, just based on kind of those disputable things and, and our opinions about those things, that's where the problems come in. Um, instead, as Christians... Again, that the goal for us is always, you know, exactly what the Apostle Paul said here, that it's about, it's about love, it's about peace in the Holy Spirit, it's about joy and hope and really kind of uplifting um, one another and encouraging one another and kind of walking together in our sanctification process. Because the truth is, y'all, we're, we're always in process. You're in process, I'm in process. I'm not perfectly like Jesus and neither are you. I don't get everything right, and neither do you. If any one of us did, we'd be God. You know, if I if I knew everything, if I got it all right all the time, um, that'd make me God. Or if you did, it'd make you God. Um, but instead, we we should always seek then to really just to build one another up, to encourage one another in the Lord, um, and and just to remember that. Um, okay, God's God's working on me. He's working on you. And when the those disputable matters come into play, um, we have to be willing to. Um, maybe even sometimes just agree to disagree. Um, where the Bible's clear and where the Bible's black and white, hopefully we can agree on what the truth says and live that way. And when it's not clear on some of these disputable matters, um, 
that maybe we just need to agree to disagree, but at the same time, seek to follow the Lord in that, right, and help one another along in it. So I um, really just wanted to end this message kind of addressing uh, two different groups of people. One would just be, if you're a Christian already, you know you're following the Lord, you have submitted yourself to Him in faith in Jesus, been baptized in His name, all of that. If you are a Christian person, okay, here's what I would say to you. Um, as you're thinking about maybe some situation in your life right now, um, and particularly, especially with other brothers and sisters in Christ, other Christians, um, I think he, here's a good question for all of us, right? What is your default attitude towards those people? What's your default attitude towards someone else, a, another Christian who does something differently than you do it? right, who maybe speaks a different way or votes a different way or dresses a different way or whatever, um, struggles with different things, right? What's your default attitude? What I mean by default attitude is just kind of like, where do you go first in your mind, right? Do you instantly think that person's wrong and I'm right? You know what I mean? Do you instantly go to, um, they're not doing it the right way, I'm doing it the right way, or I, I, I don't need to associate with them or break fellowship with them over this disputable matter? Is that kind of instantly where your mind goes? Or I need to convince them of my way of thinking. Um, you know, I think we just kind of have to check ourselves in that. First um, Corinthians 13, verse 7 says, Love always trusts and hopes. Love always trusts, love always hopes. And I think that's a good verse for us to remember because Paul's talking in the context of how do we love and treat one another in First Corinthians 13. So when he says love always trusts, love always hopes, here's what those two words mean. Trust would mean like gives the benefit of the doubt to other people generally, believes the best about somebody. Now, this is not about being gullible. I don't think we should be gullible um, and easily taken advantage of. But I do think as Christians, our default should be to think and, 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 and kind of lean in towards what's best about somebody, not what's worst about them. Isn't it true that sometimes we have a tendency to just focus on people's weaknesses and failures and faults and differences versus really what we agree on in the Lord, right, about who Jesus is and the way that we, um, man, are saved by him and sanctified by his Holy Spirit and he's leading us all forward. Instead, we just want to focus on the things we don't agree on and the, the weaknesses that somebody else may have. Um, and then when he says hopes, right, love always trusts and it always hopes. Hopes means, man, I, I hope and I believe that where somebody is is not where they're always going to be, um, that God is working on that person. And listen, we have to remember that's true of us too, again, God's working on them, but he's working on me. And so when, I, when Paul says, love always trusts and hopes, I think it's just to kind of say to us as a Christian, what if we always gave one another the benefit of the doubt? That maybe just because somebody disagrees, and yeah, maybe even if they're wrong, that God's still working in their life and God's bringing them along um, in their process of sanctification, the same as he's bringing me along in my process of sanctification. And then uh, to the Christians, I would just simply say, here's a few things to sort of consider, right? When we think about maybe having a conversation with a brother or sister in Christ who we disagree with, Th uh, kind of three things to consider um, with this would just simply be, number one, is this an essential issue? Like the thing that I want to bring up that we disagree about is in, a, is in an essential issue of the faith. What I mean by essential issue is, is it's something that is black and white in Scripture that we must agree on as Christians, right? The, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, right? Our salvation being in Him and Him alone, our sanctification being through the Holy Spirit, or black and white issues of sin that, that are clearly laid out in Scripture. Like nobody's sitting here saying that to tell a lie is not a sin. If that happens, then it's like, yeah, okay, I can tell you you're wrong about that because the Bible's clear on it. So is it, is it an essential issue or is it not? Number two, what's my motivation? Why do I want to talk to that person? Is it because I want to prove them wrong? 
or is it because I genuinely love them and want to have a conversation as a brother or sister with them to see if we can, man, just look at the scriptures together and see what God says about these things. And if we can come to a place of agreement upon, man, this is how God's leading us and teaching us. And then number three, can we disagree without disconnecting? That's a good question to ask. You know, are you willing to maybe have a conversation with somebody? And at the end of it, if you don't see eye to eye on that particular opinion, to go, okay, that's fine. <laughs> you know, we can continue to be brothers and sisters in Christ without having to agree on everything. Um, I think those are good questions to ask. So the second group of people I want to address is maybe anybody watching who you're not a Christian. You're, you're not following Jesus, at least yet. Um, and listen, thank you so much for watching. I'm glad that you are. But I, I, I would just kind of offer this to you today would be to say, um, listen, if at any point you have ever felt um, unworthy of being a Christian because of some external measurement of righteousness, uh, cleanliness, purity, holiness, or whatever that maybe you've put on yourself or maybe you felt like the world has put on you or even Christians have put on you, I want to say this to you. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you have felt that way. I'm sorry that that's been your experience. And I would say, uh, join the club because the truth is none of us feel all the way, uh, you know, kind of, worthy of God. And we probably shouldn't because we're not. Like, I am a sinful person, just as you are, just as everybody in the world is. The Bible actually tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the truth of the matter is, you and me both, neither one of us are righteous in and of ourselves. We're not right with God because of our actions. And if we're going to judge ourselves by external kind of measurements of righteousness, of holiness, of purity, we're all going to fall short all the time. But the gospel is this, that in Romans chapter 5, if I just back up a couple chapters here, the Apostle Paul tells us this. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And then in verse 8, he says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ died for you and Christ died for me, not when we figure out how to clean ourselves up, not when we finally get it all together, not when we understand all of theology, not when we start uh, being able to measure up on some external measures or standards of however we put that on ourselves or what other people put on us. No, Christ didn't die for us after any of that. Christ died for us before all of that. Christ died for us knowing that we don't measure up. Christ died for us exactly because we don't measure up. That's why he needed to die for us because he loved us that much that he's the one who measures up and his blood covers our sins and forgives us because he died for our sins. And then he rose again from the dead, Paul says in, in uh, Romans 4.25, he, he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. That means we're made right with God because of what Jesus did for us, not because of us measuring up to any standards. And then finally, I just wanted to share what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. He says that anyone who trusts in him, that's Jesus, will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know what I don't hear in that? I don't hear any talk about external standards that we have to live up to in order to be saved. All I hear is exactly what the Apostle Paul says. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. That's you, that's me. So if you're not a Christian yet, not following Jesus yet, here's how it begins. Man, you just, you just see Jesus as the Son of God who is perfect, who is holy, who is righteous, and you turn to him 
in faith. Turn away from the life that you've been living in sin and just turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. I want to follow you. I repent of all of that life and I want to follow you as my Lord and my Savior. And then listen, yeah, he's going to fill you with his Holy Spirit and he's going to lead you throughout the rest of your life to learn what it means and what it looks like to follow him and um, to be the kind of person that he's calling all of us to be. And that's where, again, we get back to just the idea as Christians that we, we, we do that together. We walk together in the Lord, trying to follow his word um, and doing the things that he's calling us to do so that we can live in wisdom. Um, but in all of that, let's live in grace for one another, okay? Um, and so for all of us, I would just encourage us, church, um, man, let's not put burdens. Let's not put burdens on one another um, that my conviction has to be your conviction about everything or yours has to be mine or anybody else's. Um, instead, let's show each other a lot of grace, grace upon grace, forgiveness upon forgiveness. Let's give one another the benefit of the doubt and let's commit, absolutely commit to just following Jesus together as a church, as a body of believers, confessing every day that none of us is perfect, none of us has it all figured out, but every one of us is just trying to follow the one who is perfect, Jesus Christ. Because Christianity, y'all, it's, it's not really just about following rules. It's about following Jesus. So let's commit to that. Let's all of us commit to just following Jesus together. And as we stumble forward in our sanctification process, um, that means becoming like Jesus little by little. As we stumble forward in that, man, let's just do it arm in arm and encourage one another. Let's be each other's champions before we are critics. Um, and man, just be willing to go, you know what? I'm going to see the best in, in my brothers and my sisters. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for you. I hope you're praying for me. Um, and let's encourage one another as we continue on in faith. And if you are today maybe considering following Jesus for the first time, um, please let us know about that. I'd love to know about that. Um, I know Pastor Gary at South, if you're at the South Campus, let him know about that or let me know about that. You can email me, Kurt, at eastridge.church. I'd love to talk with you about what that looks like for you uh, to follow Jesus today. So let me uh, just thank you. For, uh, let me say thank you for watching. And um, I really want to just pray for us, you know, as we end today. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for your goodness to us. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word that teaches us so much and leads us in uh, the process of learning to follow you better and being more like your son, Jesus. Um, and God, I do pray that all of us who are following you, that we would have grace for each other. We would love each other, serve each other, be kind to each other, not judge one another, not look down on each other, not think that we have it figured out and somebody else doesn't, but God, just have humility and um, be willing to accept that, God, we're all following you together and um, we need to help one another in that. So God, let us be like that and let us be that church. Um, and, and Lord, I do pray that you would just lead us forward um, with faith and with humility following Jesus together, God. Um, we're so grateful to you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy that you show to us every day in Jesus Christ. And I pray this in his name. Amen. All right. Hey, thank you guys so much for watching again. Sorry for the kind of the technical snafus. But anyway, this was fun to do. Uh, the second half of the message is like this anyway. So I appreciate you watching. Hopefully we'll see you this Sunday.